0: Welcome to the Pillars of Health podcast with resident strength coach, John Carroll. The Pillars of Health is on a quest to help you gain insight into the best ways you can manage stress, sleep, exercise, and nutrition in order to live your best life. Find exclusive content on our Patreon page and stay up to date with the latest Pillars of Health podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and at CoachJohnCarroll.com. Hi, right, welcome to the Pullers of Health podcast. My name is John Carroll. On the podcast today, we're getting into nutrition part three. Uh, my guests today include Dr. Lindsay Tansky, Bonnie Chang, and Aaron Carroll, uh, and we're going to discuss a lot of things when it comes to nutrition. Some of those topics include strategies for implementing behavior change in relation to food, self-compassion, and why you don't necessarily have to suffer when it comes to your nutritional goals, and also how to set yourself up success when it comes to food planning. So there's a couple of things we're going to get into. If you guys have any questions, don't hesitate to shoot us an email at thepoysofhealthpod at gmail.com. And apart from that, guys, let's get straight in. Hope you enjoy. Strategies for people then trying to implement behavior change to make things easier for them, to make that process not so difficult or challenging. What are maybe one point or one or two kind of concepts from each of you guys, maybe in that respect?
1: So I, being a social worker, of course, want to focus on the idea of self-compassion in behavior change. We touched upon it throughout the podcast already in different forms. But essentially, it's the idea of being kind to yourself in the process and recognizing that you don't exist in a vacuum yourself. So you have experiences that other people around you Uh, also have and can relate to. And then the other part of self-compassion is, again, mindfulness, understanding where you are in the moment um, in a non-judgmental way and accepting your process as you go through it. I feel like a lot of people think that they have to be in pain or they have to suffer in order to achieve some of these behavior change. In particular with exercise and nutrition. I feel like you have to work. People feel like you have to sweat or suffer or throw up <laughs> at the end of a workout for it to be a good workout. And I don't know about you guys, but that's not a goal of mine. <laughs> so, um, and, you know, I, I'm making, I am I make making a joke about this, but in in all seriousness, I feel like folks who can practice self-compassion in whatever area, whether it's exercise, nutrition, mental health, we've seen that these are the folks that see more success. I think another thing to remember is that with behavioral change, setbacks are part of the process. There are gonna be times where you don't meet your personal goals whether it's a goal for the month or even a goal for the week, um, but recognizing that setbacks are learning opportunities and not failures, I think that most coaches out there understand the idea of supporting clients through setbacks. But we have to all be careful that we're not somehow subconsciously responding to their setbacks as failures. Um, what I mean by that is, and you know, I've probably done a few of these things myself, but. Assuming that you know why a client has been unable to do to meet their goals, um, being quick to explain why they were unable to meet their goals or why they experienced setback, or making a really quick change to their programming, so you know all of this should be a conversation with your client. What do you think you're able to do? You know what do you think didn't work out? Is that something that you want to keep trying versus oh well that didn't happen for you this week. Let's make it easier. Yeah, That's not a great message to send your client. Mm-hmm. So, and again, this is all intuitive in some ways, but mm-hmm. I think being able to, to verbalize it and to, to say, yeah, these, these are things that I should be more conscious of when I'm working with the client.
2: So both coaches and clients need to practice compassion with themselves, coaches with their clients and clients with themselves to kind of Tie in something Lindsay mentioned earlier for emotional eating strategies is the same with habitual eating strategies that I recommend for my clients is having your go tos. So she talked about having things on hand when you get home from a long day. And I know for me, what works is meal planning, at least dinners. I, I don't really meal plan my lunches and breakfast because I just have some some typical stuff there. But I meal plan for the week my dinners, and I grocery shop for what I need, I try to get to the grocery store on a Friday afternoon so I don't have to fight the rush over the weekend, but, you know, find what works for you. I I found what works for me, and and I get home at night, and I'm able to handle that because I already have a plan, and the ingredients are there, but if I didn't have anything planned, the likelihood that I would get a really nutritious meal at the end of a long day Mm -hmm. is going to be a lot lower. So I'm trying to set myself up in the beginning of the week to be successful as the week goes on. And as I know, things build up, I get tired from work, from from just life in general. So I think finding strategies that work for you that are going to lead you into being successful. And that took time for me to find what works for me. And I think it'll take a lot of time for people to find what works for them. But I think having those go-to's and figuring out what works for you is ultimately going to be how you change those behaviors
0: that's a good point because I, when it comes to coaching i use a lot of uh, process goals and outcome goals with, with clients that kind of show them okay your outcome goal is to lose 20 pounds what's your process goals okay to consistently eat during the day to not go a long period of eating to not take in a boat full of food at the end of the day because you haven't eaten all day like be consistent with these things and it's like pretty generic guidelines right and so they kind of see the process okay if I can do my two workouts a week if I can be consistent with my eating that kind of gives me a better foundation so they kind of see the small things add up into the larger larger, bigger picture right so yeah Lindsay I'll let you continue on that I mean I I think both of you, all three of you gave great advice there I
3: think I like what you were saying Aaron about you know you if you just focus on kind of, all right, here's how things went this week. What can I do a little bit differently or better this week? Sometimes it's hard to see the progress that you're making over the short term, but I think if you just keep at it and keep, you know, troubleshooting, keep figuring out, integrating new foods that you like, um, trying different things, it's kind of amazing over the course of one year, two years, three years, how far you can come. And you don't necessarily see that in the short term. So I think it's always good, too, to, you know, just keep chugging along. And then all of a sudden you look back to what you were, you know, your dietary patterns two years ago. And you can kind of see how far you've come. So I think, yeah, along the lines of what you both were saying is just practicing that self-compassion. Just staying positive, and trying to, you know, make those little changes week by week. It can really add up to a lot over the long term.
1: I think it's also helpful to remember that it's okay to use a reward system. <laughs> I feel, again, I feel like yes. I, I feel like a lot of clients again believe that I have to suffer in order to be successful. And we are human beings; who are wired to respond to rewards. Right. That's just how we work. That's how the brain is. It's right? how the brain works. It's conditioning. So, personally, mm. rewards work really well for me. <laughs> study self-compassion for a while guys this is this is part of it um but for example you know i when i'm training for races i will map my route out to end at my favorite restaurant or (laughs) a place where i can grab a great burger um and i make sure that i have a friend meeting me there you know so the reward is not necessarily is the burger which i mean it often is let's be serious but um having you know setting aside time to spend with a friend or you know to do an activity to end with an activity or reward stuff with an activity you enjoy I think that again I, I don't want people to think that reward systems are bad or can be detrimental to you achieving your goals yeah
2: I think that's a really important point to remember and one, uh, one that's really good to bring up I think people looking in on our lives specifically as a personal trainer or strength and conditioning coach and probably a nutritionist as well is they think that all we eat is salad and I'm like (laughs) no no I eat like I you know I love cheese I love chocolate I have a few drinks on the weekend like we eat all the things I I really don't restrict anything I can attest to that I've seen her (laughs) eat I love to eat all the things (laughs) Um, and it's just building up the habits around those things that you can reward yourself. You know, you, you can have a drink, but you don't have to have the whole bottle of wine. You can have a, 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 a break off a piece of that chocolate bar as a treat at the end of the day. You don't need to eat the whole chocolate bar. Right, Jonathan? <laughs>
0: this is, this is true. This is true. I not blame my mother for that one. She brings the big calories over here. I just have to do her a favor and get rid of it. So, <laughs> <laughs> but one thing you guys just really put together was indulgence isn't necessarily a bad thing, and I think we've been told that through different forms of communication, from you know whether it's nutritional studies or the news or whatever it is, you know. Indulging is fine as long as you're not going whole hog on something and taking in two pizzas or whatever. You know, like (laughs) you can have a slice of pizza, that's fine. It's not a bad thing. Like you can't, you shouldn't beat yourself up over that, right? So I think it's just about fine on the middle ground, right, on on a lot of things. We have, uh, I've got a doozy here. I overheard a more experienced coach tell a client who was looking to lose a lot of weight in a short amount of time that he needed to try the velocity diet. Uh, so the velocity diet is oh, five shakes a day for 28 days. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just listening to this and I slowly saw the life drain of the client's face <laughs> as they were coming to the realization that they were not gonna have fun you know, when they were eating or enjoy anything for 28 days. So what I'm trying to tie this into is When it comes to nutritional questions from clients and, you know, what should I do in this respect, what should I do in that respect? We as strength coaches, we are not officially certified. Like, we can get a a Precision Nutrition Certification and kind of help someone there, but we are not, for the most part, a lot of us certified in nutrition. So, for Bonnie, for, for Lindsay, what are some recommendations you guys have when we do get asked these questions, and what's a good kind of general path to take maybe in in that respect?
1: Well, someone who is also not licensed to assess and (laughs) diagnose and give advice about nutrition, I feel like it is our job as other providers, first to understand what our colleagues do. So what is their training? What is their expertise? What can they help our clients with? and then to have a conversation with the client again based on your assessment of where the client's at what are their goals and what are their options for achieving those goals because i work in healthcare i do work with a lot of other disciplines so i work with doctors and nutritionists nurses and i'm always asking my colleagues about what's best for the client based on their expertise and so if a client comes to me and says I'm not really sure what I should be eating, and these are my medical issues. I'm not going to be comfortable telling them this is what you should go shopping for and this is the meal you should have. But what I can do is tell them, well, what are, you, what are your goals? You know, I can ask them, what are, the, what are your goals? And then here are some of your options in a way that's supportive, again, in a way that's non judgmental, and sort of point them to the right direction of where they should be seeking this advice. Let's
0: uh, see. To- yeah,
3: so I, well, first of all, from a client perspective, anyone that's recommending an all-shake diet, you should turn and <laughs> run, don't walk. Um, I, I think it's good, I think from a client's perspective, it's good to trust your gut. So first of all, look at the credentials of your coach. You know, do they have the Precision Nutrition Certification? That's a great sign that they are... You know, pursuing continuing education, that they're doing what they can to kind of gain that nutritional knowledge. PN is great because it's it's really grounded in evidence. It talks about nutrition in a responsible incredible credible way. And so looking for that certification from a client perspective is great. Obviously, if, if a trainer has an RD, that's great. If your trainer doesn't have those sort of credentials and is giving you advice that seems questionable, trust your gut, and maybe seek out, you know, a different coach or see a nutritionist. Um, I think from a coach perspective, again, doing whatever you can to obtain that continuing education is great, because like we talked about before, fitness doesn't exist in a vacuum, so anything you can do to support your client's nutrition is great. But I think it's just understanding, knowing your limitations and knowing okay, as a personal trainer, I can recommend general healthy dietary patterns. I should not be in the business of trying to address a medical condition through nutrition. I should not be in the business of constructing an individualized diet plan. That Those are sort of beyond the bounds of my practice. But And I think what we talked about before also is what most people struggle with is the behavioral stuff. And so as a coach, if you can help... You know, help your client support those healthy habits. That's one of the most important things you can do too, and that's something that most fitness professionals are really
2: well equipped to do. I think that that raises some really good points there. Number one, working with your colleagues. So, in most gyms where we're working as strength coaches, you don't necessarily have a team around you. So networking in a way that you build a team of people that you trust to recommend and refer out to when you need to do that is really good. And for us, um, I think having, whether it's one or two nutritionists that you trust and physical therapists, when things become outside of your scope. The other thing like Lindsay brought up is really giving people the tools and just recommending kind of healthy lifestyle or healthy diet tips kind of leading them in the right dex- direction where they can read and find good information and just encouraging them to make those changes. For the most part, unless a client has some health issues or some severe eating disorder habits. For the general population client, they don't need necessarily a a meal plan per se. They just need someone to encourage those habits. And if you find as a coach that maybe that isn't something that you can give them, that's where you might want to recommend a nutritionist and, and just stick to your kind of exercise and fitness background. But otherwise, I think giving them the right information, they can do a lot with that on their own and just your support.
0: That's awesome. Thank you guys for those answers. All right, so we talked a little bit, or you mentioned there, Aaron, a little bit about nutritionists. Lindsay, in, in what circumstances would you, or do you see people come to you as a nutritionist? Like, what, what are the, the circumstances that prompt a lot of people to kind of seek out the help of a nutritionist as opposed to maybe just asking their coach about, like, what should I be eating, et cetera? What are the most sure. common situations there? So I would
3: say certainly... And and legally, if someone is trying to manage a medical condition, like Erin mentioned, if it's, you know, someone has type 2 diabetes, if someone has a serious eating disorder, that would be an instance where you'd want to refer someone to a nutritionist. Um, Again, the laws vary state by state, but in most places, if you're not an RD, you're not supposed to be giving sort of individualized nutrition recommendations, um, you know, in terms of the form of creating a meal plan. And so if there's a client who wants that kind of, that level of individual support, maybe they want nutrient analysis done, maybe just someone who kind of wants next level individualized nutrition support, I I would say that's an instance where someone would want to seek out a registered dietitian. Yeah,
0: that's a great answer. Yeah. A lot of times it comes back to kind of knowing your, your limits in, in uh, a lot of places, right? So for strength coaches, kind of knowing how to refer out, like you guys mentioned before. So oftentimes, uh, strength coaches, Aaron and myself, we get asked for meal plans. And I'm like, you know, can you do a meal plan for the week? And it's like, okay. So really that person is saying, give me something to eat for seven days, and I'm just going to eat that week after week after week. Number one, is that a long-term plan for that person? And number two... Is there anything to be gained for, or from meal plans for people? I will, I'll go straight back to you, Lindsay.
3: Honestly, I would leave that to a registered dietitian. I really don't think that the trainer should be in the business of creating a prescribed meal plan for a client. And in some states, that's what the law dictates as well. Mm-hmm. So, and I think behaviorally, you know, you want your clients to be able to make good choices in different contexts. Um, okay maybe for a few weeks at a time you can you can adhere to that one specific meal plan but ideally you want to be able to go to a restaurant and make a good choice even if you haven't looked at the menu before so I would just encourage clients to you know maybe you can say okay if breakfast is problematic here are some good ideas of food you might want to integrate at breakfast Mm -hmm. I think there are ways that you can encourage good choices without writing up someone a specific meal plan. And I think if someone insists on having a specified meal plan, I would say that's a, that's a case where you'd send them to a, to a
1: registered dietitian. I agree, because it's not just about what foods they can or cannot eat based on their medical conditions, but foods also interact with medications that most of us aren't trained to recognize or even know. So... There are definitely some really healthy foods that certain clients just cannot have based on the medications that they're on. But in general, I think it is difficult to give a client a any, prescribed anything because they should be part of the process of deciding what to eat. Um, and without that, I don't think it's sustainable because it's something that's given to them and if they don't see success with that, it becomes something that's told to them. It's not something that they actually come up with themselves or subscribe to or believe in. Yeah, Just a
2: clarify really quick on that we have definitely been asked plenty of times for meal plans but it's not something either one of us practice or do we don't we don't actually give meal plans we've been asked but we don't do it
0: yeah i i don't even know the last time i actually gave something a meal plan i don't know if i've ever given someone a meal plan hopefully not (laughs) That's something I hear less and less of, but it still exists today because mm-hmm. a lot of people want the easy answer, right? It's like, what should I follow? But you know what? I'm thinking, and it's probably the case where a lot of people, if they get a meal plan, they'll follow it for a week and then they're, they're they've fallen off. So, you know, in the, in the whole scheme of things, it's not really doing them a whole lot of good. It's not giving them any independence or, you know, leading to good, healthy habits. So, yeah, I don't think that's really an avenue for anybody there. So we have a question from a listener in relation to calorie deficit.
2: I think the question itself touches on when they're restricting calories and not seeing results, then they restrict more and they feel like their body adapts to those restrictions. And she specifically asked, the more your body, quote unquote, adapts to those restrictions, she's not sure how much more she can restrict to see the success that she's looking to see, and she's personally not sure if there's a right approach or balance there. I
3: mean, first of all, I think it would be helpful to kind of get a look at this person's diet and see what are the types of foods that this person is eating. And again, not to sound like a broken record, but calories really only tell you how much energy a food provides. They don't tell you anything about the nutritional quality. And so I think in this instance, it's really important to be emphasizing nutritional quality just because that's what's going to, you know, it's gonna help the most with society. It's gonna kind of basically help your body sort of takes care of itself, but in terms of the big picture, in terms of long-term sustainable success, it's much more beneficial to focus on the nutritional quality of those food choices, rather than having to kind of keep successively restricting calories, you know, until you're down to 1,200 calories a day, because it's just not something that's sustainable over the long term.
0: Yeah, that's an awesome answer, and definitely something that kind of gets lost in the hype is... The, the benefit of certain calories like you said so yeah yeah thank you for that yeah
3: i think it just i think it just sets you up to have to rely on willpower in a way that is not
0: sustainable we've got through a ton of information and i want to thank you guys for joining me on the podcast we do have one more question before i let you guys head off and enjoy the, your free time on a weekend that one question is what is your favorite meal like what is if you've had a tough week at work and you're ready to get home, whether it's at home, if you're making it, or if it's at a restaurant, what is that one meal you are just ready to consume?
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: and you have a lot of built-up ante- anticipation about it.
2: So <laughs> that's it. I, I'm the one that does a lot of the cooking here at home. So, Jonathan has already mentioned it, but one of our most recent go to's is I, I call it a taco salad, which has slowly evolved from like a taco salad to a grilled chicken salad with taco type fixings. And um, that's definitely something at home that I look forward to because it's satisfying, but it also tastes really good. But if I'm really tired, And I wanna go out, then it doesn't even matter where we go. It's just like just I don't wanna cook. Take me somewhere that I can order something that's not terrible for me, but also is, you know, gonna satisfy the need for a meal.
1: So since I use Boston's public transportation, I have a ton of time to (laughs) meal plan because my commute that should be thirty minutes turns into an hour, an hour and a half most days. But one of the things I do enjoy going home to is a comfort meal, comfort eating, and I really like tomato soup and grilled cheese for comfort. Um, A classic. (laughs) It's a classic, and I have this really amazing recipe for tomato soup that uses basil, so it's got the little kick, and then just a really hearty grilled cheese with some Whole grain bread and some melty cheese. Oh, that I'm sounds so good! Right it's now. raining <laughs> outside today. It would be like the perfect meal. And because I also have to feed a trainer at home, I have to add a few more things to that. So there's usually a large salad that comes with it, and some other side veggies, whether they're grilled or fried up with Parmesan. To be honest, <laughs>
0: oh, you're saying Chris doesn't eat kale? Chips all the time?
1: <laughs> Maybe like five bags of it. Yeah. <laughs>
2: trainer really is a in your leftover situation. We actually never, like almost never, 98% of the time we don't have leftovers in our house because Jonathan (laughs) and I can both eat.
1: I think this is one of the first things Lindsay and I bonded over when we first met. (laughs) And have exchanged multiple recipes for. So, one of the things I've been missing most about
3: Boston is sweet green. We don't have sweet green in North Carolina yet. I'm hoping it's coming. But I have been experimenting lately to try to replicate some of my favorite sweet green salads at home. So that's sort of one thing that I look forward to. They never quite compare with the real thing, but I'm working on it. And then the other thing I would say is I mean I love to cook but like we were saying, when you're tired and you don't feel like cooking, my husband makes a mean broccoli omelet. <laughs> so breakfast um, yeah, um, for dinner would be at the top of the list. Nice.
2: Very Sounds nice. great. Alex will have to teach Jonathan how to do that. <laughs> yes,
0: he yeah. can. Um, he's the master. He's good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Lindsay, for, for calling in or mm-hmm. being on the line from North Carolina. We'd really appreciate it. This was really fun. And thank you, Bonnie, for joining us.
1: Thank you so much for having me. A
0: different take on things. It's <laughs> always great to have you. And thank you, Aaron.
1: Yeah, of course.
0: And thank you, Mickey, for snoring during the podcast. <laughs> so I'm, sure, I'm going to listen back to this and hear him snoring. He's passed out. He ate his food and then passed out and snored. <laughs> didn't really care what we were doing. No, so.
2: he's really happy, really comfortable Tip over there. Tip of the there. cap to you,
0: Mickey, over there on the sofa. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you so much. Have a great weekend. I hope so.